0: President Putin, BBC News. Is Russia behind the poisoning of Sergei Skripal? We're dealing with agriculture here, as you see, to create conditions for people's lives. And you talked to me about some tragedies. First, get to the bottom of it there, and then we'll discuss this.
1: It is now clear that Mr Skripal and his daughter were poisoned with a military-grade nerve agent of a type developed by Russia.
0: Some breaking news. A murder investigation has been launched by the Metropolitan Police, following the results of a post-mortem examination into the death of a 68-year-old Russian, the businessman Nikolai Glushkov. The quarrel of the UK government is not with Russian people. Our quarrel is with
1: Putin's Kremlin. This is Virginia Heffernan, and welcome to TrumpCast, the first ever verite TrumpCast. We are, I'm talking to you from PutinCon in an undisclosed location in uh, Hell's Kitchen. No joke, undisclosed. They told us the um, actual location of the place just today, having planned this thing for months in advance. And we all met here, and it's a group of people that include luminaries like Gary Kasparov and and Bill Browder and my guest today, Luke Harding, um, the author of Collusion. He's been on the show before, and we just heard him give a talk about Sergei Kripal's poisoning, um, the poisoning of...
2: Skripal. It's, it's Skripal with an S.
1: He saying, "Okay, so I mean, you know there this are different is ways of, there's there are
2: different ways of doing it, but I mean, but, but basically Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia,
1: and his daughter Yulia, yeah. um, And uh, and this has been extremely relevant today because we're talking about dissidents. Um, there are a lot of dissidents here present, dissenters, and turncoats, even in the case of Skripal. Luke, maybe you can recap for us a little of the talk you just gave and why you've moved from talking about collusion." to Skripal.
2: Yeah, that, that was the plan for this conference, was to talk about collusion, Donald Trump. And I had to kind of tear the script up, because we've just had a darkly bizarre a couple of weeks in, in, in the UK. Um, I'm, I'm based in London, quite a few things happened in London, but absolutely nothing ever happens in Salisbury, which is this very quiet cathedral city in the southwest of England, uh, where Sergei Skripal uh, has been living ever since he was spy-swapped out of Russia in 2010. Um, He was pardoned. He was a former military intelligence officer working for the GRU, which is actually the the most powerful and also the most secretive of the three Russian spy organizations. There's the FSB, Putin's old service, and there's Mm the SVR, which is the sort of smoother end. It's the sort of multilingual diplomats who are actually spies. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the GRU were the people who fell out of airplanes, did special operations, and so on. It was military intelligence. and I think everyone had forgotten about him. Uh, I, I knew other defectors um, wh- whom I, I've got to know uh, since I was kicked out of Russia in 2011, and Skripal was not one of them. Hmm. Uh, and yet he is targeted, and not only is he targeted, he, he is targeted with this rare Soviet-made nerve agent, kind of not Novichok nerve agents.
1: Novichok is the name of it, and that's a, like, sort of a brand name? or
2: It's a generic group of, of highly toxic... Agents which are sort of five eight times worse than than sarin, uh, and they were developed in complete secrecy by a group of talented Soviet chemists mm. uh, in a, a closed complex near the town of Saratov on the Volga River um, And we know this because there was a defector who, who blew the whistle on this program and wrote a memoir which I downloaded and read and a lot of other journalists who are very good at becoming instant experts at things have also read. Um, yeah. But the, the, the point is, first of all, just how gruesome the attack was. Yeah. So, so what happened was that passers-by saw Sergei Skripal and Yulia Skripal on a park bench foaming at the mouth, out of it, eyes glazed, spasming. They thought that they'd taken a drugs overdose mm-hmm. and the sort of paramedics were called. Um, she was helicoptered to the hospital. He was driven there, and, and of course, then, then we discovered it's a nerve agent. So, but the point is that that actually this is a calling card. In other words, this is Vladimir Putin formally saying, "Where is the evidence? We've got nothing to do with this." But actually, sorry, where
1: is the? Oh, he is formally. He, he, saying yeah, that. he's formally yeah, yeah, yeah. saying
2: there's no evidence, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it, informally, sending a message to everybody that it was Russia um, that. By which I mean, Russia's special services can do whatever they want, where they want, and, and, it, and it's a really a sign of complete contempt for, for, for the UK.
1: So I've heard this thing uh, described as an assassination and a poisoning, but it also seems potentially like the use of chemical weapons. Um, well, it is. There's nothing potential
2: about it. I mean, it, 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 that there were chemical weapons used. We don't in, say in that a, about
1: the polonium poisoning instance? Well, uh, the
2: method is similar insofar as it was a miracle that no one else was um, seriously affected by the polonium. With the polonium, you remember it was Alexander Litvinenko in 2006, this radioactive isotope put in a a white ceramic teapot in a Mayfair hotel just around the corner from the American Embassy, by the way. The the teapot went back in the dishwasher. So Mm. the fact that someone else wasn't severely injured by this was was sheer dumb uh, good fortune. And on this occasion, we, we don't know if the idea was to poison both Yulia and Sergei, or just Sergei, and Yulia was an accidental casualty. But mm-hmm. the fact was that there was a police officer who was the first on the scene who attended to them, who was also exposed to this vile stuff and is, is, is now in hospital. I mean, he's conscious, but, but we don't know what long-term health effects he may oh, have. Oh, he's
1: conscious, okay. I he's conscious. But the so the point the is
2: rest. that actually, frankly, a whole number of people could have been killed by yeah. this. And, and the assassins, whether they're the assassins on the ground, if there were assassins on the ground, we don't know how this thing was deployed, or mm-hmm. whether in Moscow, didn't care.
1: So you say he, this is a, the, and I should say to listeners that uh, Luke and I are having lunch right now. This is a, a pretty um, hectic and overly stimulating conference because uh, the talks are immensely interesting. Um, you say sending a message, not to get self-centered about TrumpCast, but the you know we talk a lot about Robert Mueller's investigation. Yeah. We talk to you and to others about collusion. Um, it, you know, is there a message to Americans, American journalists investigating? Uh, Russian interference or a message to those who might testify about Russian interference? Well,
2: yeah, th- this is something I've been kind of de- decoding in articles I've been writing yeah. um, in the last couple of weeks. I, I think I think the message works on several levels. W- w- one, it's a message of, of, of contempt towards the UK and it's saying, you are weak, you haven't got any allies, which is true because of Brexit, because the man in the White House seems strangely reluctant to criticize Vladimir Putin and it's not exactly leapt to Theresa May's defense, yeah. although he has now kind of rather late in the day and endorsed the UK position, which is that Russia was responsible. So it's a giant V-sign to, to the UK. But uh, V-sign is uh, a
1: fudge in Italian.
2: I, yeah, I wasn't <laughs> sure whether that was, uh, was podcast-appropriate oh, right. podcast language, <laughs> but, but anyway. Uh, it's also quite helpful domestically, bear in mind there's a Russian presidential election. <clears throat> this attack happened two weeks precisely before the election. Yeah. A- and, of course, it's been huge in the Russian media. They say it wasn't us. They say it's, it's look, we told you there's a Western conspiracy. Here is the proof. Right. They make these stories up to def- defame and belittle us. Uh, and only Vladimir Putin can kind of protect you um, from, from these evil Western people, and he's a strong and dynamic leader, et cetera. So that plays very well uh, with the kind of conservative nationalist base who share what you might term Putin's sense of smouldering victimhood, Mm -hmm. which has been a theme that's run all the the way through his interminable presidency. You
1: know, we heard uh, from one of the Russian speakers this morning, um, and uh, I should get his name later, uh, about Putin's appeal. The general topic of that talk was Putin's rise. Putin's appeal to the people is mostly, uh, one of the quotes he used was his paramilitary looks, which I thought was interesting. Um, is that what how we describe his I mean, five five? I mean,
2: he's had, he's he's had some work done. Uh, he's quite a yes. small man. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, know, I, but, I wouldn't but, exactly describe him as paramilitary. I mean, can I tell you
1: my case for collusion? Yeah, go on. Can, yeah. I'll, for I'll, collusion. I'll close it. For collusion. Okay, go on. Okay, Trump will call anyone little from Marco Rubio to uh, to Adam Schiff. Um, but he never uses the word. He's so much shorter. You have stumbled I,
2: on the one right, fact that has eluded Muller. Yes. That has eluded <laughs> me and my best selling book. It has is, eluded is everybody. That's right. You have solved this mystery. I
1: thought I my, in my where, can, Christy, I, right? can I
2: riff off your Please. small man theme? Yes. Uh, uh, you do, I did used to go to receptions in the Kremlin before I was evicted for, from Russia, and you would see the, the, the Putin cabinet, and they, they were all exceptionally small men. And Dmitry Medvedev, who was his sort of stand-in, yeah. um, kind of mini-me for, for four years, uh, and Putin was still running the show, but Medvedev was, was titular president, is even smaller. <laughs> he's one of the smallest men I've ever seen. I mean, he's about five foot tall, five foot one. Uh, and what's so hilarious is when the Kremlin does verticals when he was president that, that he would go to some collective farm or something go to some village they would then pick the smallest woman in the village to sit with him and shoot from below so that he, he looked like a colossus well, you know, I mean, <laughs> but there's definitely a Lilliputian dimension to this this team.
1: But you know, I don't, I don't think it's trivial to bear that in mind because what we first we heard today about the um, shutting down of the TV station that ran the satire that used a midget figure yeah. to represent yeah um, well well
2: I mean like like all say. like all despots or, or, yeah. or one of despots perhaps in Trump Trump's case they don't really do humor they they can't laugh very readily at themselves, yes. it's, a, it's a kind of unifying.
1: But then also overrunning our perceptions, so to be told his para- paramilitary looks, and we're constantly told how powerful he is and how strong he is, and then in the photographs he's like, there's not, not one American president that doesn't seem like a head taller than he is. On the other hand, we have come to accept this fiction that he is almost infinitely powerful. You know, we're surrounded... by you talking about Putin? Or Putin Trump? sorry, Trump. Putin. Yeah. So we're surrounded at this conference by two messages, one that he's unraveling and might not have a future, and the other, from all the signs around us, his. you know, he looks on with these, you know, grim, horrifying, big brother eyes, and his paramilitary looks are meant to hold us in awe. See, yeah, yeah, which is easy to you.
2: What he is is he's an opportunist, and he's prepared to use tactics that no one else will use because they're in violation of international law. I mean, he's prepared yeah. to kill people or, or send people to kill on his behalf, uh, individuals he personally doesn't like. Like, for example, Litvinenko, whom we talked about, who, who Putin fired from the FSB in uh, 1998, 1999. And, and, and so if you look at hacking the US election, uh, OK, they, they recruited a bunch of criminal hackers to do it. Um, some of the people involved for GOU and FSB. But it was a relatively cheap operation. It, it was not it was not hugely expensive. Uh, it's crude phishing emails, mm-hmm. nerve agents, which you, you, you've got in some stockpile, smuggled over and, mm-hmm. and, and to take someone else. So it, it's, it's the sort of brazenness and also a, a, a calculation which is ongoing that the West will not react in kind, that the West mm-hmm. is weak, that it's, its leaders are perishable, because of course they have to be reelected, elected people mm-hmm. don't have to worry about that. Right. Um, and, and therefore in this great geopolitical game, as he, as he conceives it, Russia has the edge.
1: Back to sending a message. Is there anyone stateside or possibly in England whose who's ears this message is intended yeah, for? Yeah,
2: I'm sorry that I didn't answer your question from earlier. So, so briefly, I think ultimately the message is to anyone inside the, the Russian bureaucracy, but particularly in, in the kind of top secret mm-hmm. areas, who's thinking of cooperating with Robert Miller's investigation or Western intelligence, more generally, that the message is that y- you may forget, you may feel safe, you may feel confident, you may feel you've moved on, you may feel the FBI can protect you. They can't. We we can strike at any moment, and we will squash you, just like that. Never forget that. And and it's a, it's a chilling message.
1: And if that's uh, I, if that's just Russians, because it's, that's probably not going to be uh, you know. Donald Trump Jr's ex-wife uh, or well no John I mean I, d- I don't
2: think I don't think it's going to be people around Trump's o- entourage or any kind of d- d- danger Ripka
1: but or the other or other Russians of f- that have come a- any, any with Russian information a- on
2: a- c- could be vulnerable yep. a- abs- absolutely um, and I mean you can say one thing about Putin he, he doesn't leave room for ambiguity
1: yeah. yeah 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 it's definitely pretty clear all right one last thing I want you to just speculate on Rex Tillerson our dear departed secretary of state did condemn uh, condemn the attacks as Russian. And, and, and then he got
2: fired, didn't he, two yeah. hours later? Any thoughts? Interesting timeline. Yeah. Uh, and then his spokesman, who pointed that out, got fired as well. You think he um, just wanted
1: to spend time with his family or I, something uh, more sinister?
2: I mean, the thing is... <laughs> First of all, why was Rex Tillerson given that job in the first place? He, he, he was singly, he had no qualifications for it. He did, well, he does course, have his Brotherhood of the, he, of the Russian did, Federation. He, he did have the order, order um, wonderful sky blue order from, from Putin. Uh, so with classy. whom they clink <laughs> champagne. And he was a known and trusted interlocutor in Moscow, I think, without, without putting my big pointy conspiratorial hat on. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that was definitely a kind of consideration, and we've, we've seen whispers that I'd certainly heard from inside the Russian foreign ministry that the Russian foreign ministry rightly or wrongly thought that they more or less had a right to veto the yeah. Secretary of State and yes. that Romney was initially in the frame and that Moscow did a thumbs down and we got Tillerson instead. The problem was I think Tillerson's personal relations with Trump clearly were, were, were poor. Calling your boss a, a moron. I, I ultimately I, I don't know but, but I think that the question is why was he hard in the first place? And, and why, indeed, was anyone from Trump's initially iterated cabinet? Why do they all have a Russian
1: connection? Well, we're getting a horrifying crash course on all this. And thank you, but thank you for being one of the giving us a masterclass today. Not at all. Um, thank you. And now we uh,
2: can eat our ramen chicken, right? Oh
1: yes, exactly. Because we're supposed to be having lunch together. Um, we will be back uh, in uh, back shortly with Bill Browder, who's just come into the room, um, reporting live from Putincon. We are here at PutinCon, um, and having just talked to Luke Harding, it seems fitting to talk to Bill Browder. I think we're going let to let him improvise a little bit because we're reeling from news of another murder in England um, that has some Russian fingerprints on it. For one, the victim is himself Russian and a dissident, or a defector.
0: So the victim is a guy named Nikolai Glushkov. Um, Nikolai Glushkov was a um, business partner of Boris Berezovsky. Uh, Boris Berezovsky, for those who don't remember him, was Putin's biggest Russian adversary who had to flee to exile to England 15 years ago when Putin first came to power. And all of um, Berezovsky's um, confidants had to flee with him. In this particular man's case, I I think he was arrested in Russia, spent five years in jail, got out. They were going to open up another case against him. He ended up getting out of the country. Um, everybody who was connected to Berezovsky, Berezovsky, another guy named Badri Patakshvili, mm-hmm. and this guy Nikolai Glushkov are all dead in London.
1: And how did, what's what's the story of those two deaths and what's the story of the today's murder?
0: Well, so Berezovsky's death was a, um, a, a determined, they, they have a thing called the coroner's inquest in England, mm-hmm. which determines the cause of death. Mm-hmm. And they came up with a, something called an open verdict, which means that they couldn't figure out what the cause of death was. It was... It looked like a suicide, or it was made to look like a suicide, but, sure. but um, the fact that the coroner said, I don't know what it was, yeah. um, uh, uh, basically, in my opinion, um, uh, it's kind of obvious. He was, he was, Putin hated him more than anyone else in the world, mm. and then suddenly he died of a supposed suicide, mm-hmm. which the coroner couldn't determine. I think he was murdered. Mm-hmm. There was another guy who was, who was effectively an equal partner to Boris Berezovsky. His name as Badri Patakshvili. Okay. And ba- Badri just dropped dead one day. There was no autopsy, nothing, um, and uh, no criminal investigation.
1: How can, I mean, since poisoning is such the subject today, um, although the final death, the, de- the one today, is was a strangling, you said.
0: They said a compression to the neck, which suggests that he was strangled.
1: So leaving apart the grisly details, which I was going to dive into, but I think I'd rather ask you where do things stand with the uk now i mean we heard a lot of talks this morning about the rise of russia being uh, partly the history of the rise of putin being partly the history of the west being willing over and over again to overlook the apartment bombings to overlook the kgb's role in the apartment bombings up through crimea up through ukraine and all these other human rights abuses and now, is this going to be another thing that they, that the West overlooks, that NATO overlooks?
0: Um, well, so this is this is first and foremost a British issue. This yep. happened on British soil. It's a British sovereign issue. It's a British law enforcement issue. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason that that, that these things happen uh, is that there has been a totally permissive attitude towards Russian murders and Russian crime in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most obvious and most stark of these situations was the. Um, murder of Alexander Litvinenko in 2006. Alexander Litvinenko was a defector, a spy, a close friend of Boris Berezovsky as well, Mm -hmm. supported by Boris Berezovsky. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, he was killed in the center of London um, by the Russian FSB um, using polonium-210, which is a nuclear material. And there was never any consequence, zero consequence.
1: And why was that? I mean, England got the memo, as Luke Harding says, about Russian interference and Russian aggression well before the United States did, and I don't think we would have overlooked that in the U.S. But
0: well, we we don't. I mean, it's hard to say what we would or wouldn't have done. So so many strange things are happening here that I don't want to predict what the U.S. would (laughs) do in that situation. I mean, let's just. I mean, look, our our airport, the airports and uh, uh, power plants have all been infiltrated by Russian stuff, and um, you know, so yes. But what what I would say is is that um, the answer, why why didn't Britain do anything about it? Mm -hmm. They um, they, they said it. Theresa May, who is the Home Secretary, their sort of top law enforcement person, before she was the Prime Minister, Mm -hmm. um, she she went to court to try to prevent a public inquiry into the uh, assassination. And she said in court, this would hurt our business and diplomatic relations with Russia. Mm
1: -hmm. So Mm -hmm.
0: she was basically subordinating national security for money.
1: Mm-hmm. And especially oil connections. or
0: Well, I imagine that BP had a lot to do with it uh-huh. because BP is um, a big UK company with a lot of strong political connections. Yeah. I think it wasn't just BP. I think it was probably, there's a lot of uh, real estate agents in London and lawyers and, and concierges and, and private bankers.
1: So while the polonium attack, because it was contained to this teapot and the teapot was subsequently washed in a dishwasher and it didn't affect others, that, that while that couldn't Quite, was considered a one-off poisoning and not a not a chemical attack might be nomenclature we're talking about here but I, it still seems like an important distinction to say that the Salisbury attack could have affected um, well, well I, I, hundreds I, of others I, I think
0: the polonium attack affected many hundreds of others many people were in, in the same bar and the same restaurants um, and, and had had traces of polonium. This was a public safety disaster, yeah. uh, uh, releasing polonium-210, as was chemical weapons.
1: So these and are terrorist attacks.
0: These are terrorist attacks. And, and this this was an act, and, and it's been said, it, it was said by Nikki Haley at the United Nations, it was said by Theresa May, Boris Johnson, and various others, this was a, a state-sponsored terrorist attack ordered by Putin mm-hmm. using high-grade military nerve agents, chemical weapons, which have been banned so by all countries.
1: under... Uh, Let's go to your exact bailiwick, the Magnitsky Act. How could the Magnitsky Act, because we think that there's been a history of underreactions to this kind of, to these kind of human rights abuses, atrocities, assassinations, chemical attacks. How could the Magnitsky Act be employed to connect these to fortunes that might then be frozen and oligarchs who might then be restricted?
0: So so the, the reason for the Magnitsky Act is, is that we understand that Putin cares about money more than human life. Mm-hmm. He cares about his money. He cares about the money of his officials. And um, he cares about the money of the oligarchs who are holding his money for him. So the Magnitsky Act is something that he actually cares about, and therefore it's something that could be used as an asymmetric retaliation to a, to a terrorist attack. Mm-hmm. And so then the question is, if it can be used, how could it be used? And, and the answer is, it's, 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 it says that those people have been involved in gross human rights abuses. And in this particular case, the Russian government has been involved in a ro- gross human rights abuse. And so I, I can imagine that, um, that the Magnitsky Act or just simple anti-terrorist legislation can be used to freeze and seize the assets of Russian government officials in the UK. And then the question is, do they have assets in the UK? And the answer is yes. Yeah. We know the names. The British government, if they chose to, and they're not stupid people in the government, they're not stupid people in law enforcement, could identify People, Members of the, go- of the Russian government mm-hmm. who have assets, and I can think of one off the top of my head. The first deputy prime minister, Igor Shuvalov, mm-hmm. has a $19 million apartment, a stone's throw from the parliament. Freeze that apartment. Yeah. Tomorrow. That would do something. That would, that would get their attention. Yeah. And then announce that they're going to go after the, the oligarchs who support Russian government officials.
1: And once again, by freeze, you mean... Uh, Seize.
0: Take, take it away. as a. Uh, uh. Take, take away their property.
1: Right. The houses, the oriental rugs, and then the, and then keep it so they can't go to Saint-Tropez and can't put their money anywhere. And
0: I guarantee you, all of a sudden, there would be a crisis in the Kremlin. A crisis.
1: Amazing. But just because it would have such a, a good effect, this is not a kind of, um, this is not a law enforcement that there, that anybody is accustomed to doing. What it sounds more like is if there were an ISIS attack or an Al-Qaeda attack on American soil tracing it to a state sponsor, I mean, how do you exactly say it's state-sponsored or countenanced by a government? I mean, well, I mean these I, are I, difficult I, military operations, aren't they?
0: Well, so, so we're, we're already in a war with Russia right now, Yeah, and we shouldn't call it anything other than, than what it is. It's a You war. mean the West
1: or, or the, Britain? The, the West. The yeah. West
0: is in a war with Russia. It's an asymmetric um, uh, war using, using totally different... Th- this is not a tank war. It's not a missile war. It's a war using computer hacking. It's a war y- using... It's chemical weapons in, in, in specific terrorist attack. And we have to be creative about how we respond to that. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we know there is one huge piece of leverage which we have, which is these keep people, while they do all this terrible stuff, want to live the high life in the West and keep all their money in the West. And that's our leverage. It's the obvious leverage. Yeah. Everybody understands that. And so it's now time to get smart on how to implement that leverage.
1: Um, I will say, you mentioning that we're at war, which you know is something that, I mean, the US hasn't declared war in a long time, so we're in an undeclared war. Um, they, call it, they, they
0: call it a hybrid war.
1: hybrid war, which goes to the question of, a question dear to the heart of Trumpcast listeners, which is if there's a case for treason to be made against the president. Apparently, if he's given aid and comfort to an enemy of the United States, we have to be at some kind of war, recognizable <laughs> war with that enemy, in order for his the aid and comfort that he's Given the nation to qualify as an act of treason, I, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? I know that y- Trump is not like front and center for you in this conversation, but you know,
0: I, I, I mean, Trump is really very peripheral in this conversation. Yeah. So, so <laughs> I mean, I realize this is Trump cast, and I'm sorry to all your listeners that I don't have anything great to say about mm, Trump. But but but, 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 but what, I, what I, mean, you know, what, what we have is is a um, is a truly a uh, uh, one of the most dangerous people in the world, Vladimir Putin who's causing trouble everywhere in the world. It's yeah. not just in America. Yeah. And, um, and we need to figure out a way to, c- to contain him. And, and it seems like yesterday, um, the United States and Canada and, and France and various other countries have spoken out uh, clearly and, and bluntly about Vladimir Putin. And, and uh, it's an important step in, in, in doing something about it, but we actually have to do something about it.
1: Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeo, and he's right. right here. And he can yeah. produce stuff with like a weird. We were just walking around. backpack, like terrorist backpack, and it's tiny. And um, we're just not a terrorist here.
0: backpack. It is just a recording
1: bag. Recording bag. It's quite. It's quite convenient. Our um, guests today were Luke Harding, the author of Collusion, and a reporter at The Guardian, longtime reporter in Moscow, and uh, Phil Browder, the promoter of the um, astounding Magnitsky Act, which. We've talked a lot about on this show. Thanks very much for listening.